Hello and welcome to I Really Wish You Hadn't. This is a podcast about people and businesses that have made horrible mistakes, have fallen apart at the seams, or have just been generally awful since their inception. They're the kind of people and businesses that make you think, man, I really wish you hadn't. Welcome back to I Really Wish You Hadn't. I'm Michael Bentley, and I'm here with Cayman McMahon. Jinkies. And our producer, Colin Moore. What up? This week, we're talking about Hanna-Barbera. And if you don't know who Hanna-Barbera are, they're the people who animated your childhood. Like, we're talking the Flintstones, Scooby-Doo, Dexter's Lab, Powerpuff Girls. And yes, I admit it, I watched Powerpuff Girls. I'm not ashamed. It was a good show. Oh, yeah. No, you shouldn't be ashamed. Like, one of the coolest supervillains of all time is in Powerpuff Girls. Mojo Jojo. Mojo Jojo? Really? Yeah. We're going Mojo Jojo. I yeah. thought I thought we would go with him. I thought him was like... Him was like kind of weird. <sighs> the stuff that nightmares were made out of. <laughs> yeah, kind of. But yeah, no. I, I mean, you said this is what your childhood was made of. Like, this is who animated your childhood. Honestly, Hanna-Barbera animated your childhood probably your parents childhood and quite possibly your grandparents childhood so like they've been around for a while and they dominate they're great yeah and i think that's the beauty of it right is like even even as you get older you can appreciate it oh yeah in studying for this episode i would say like i did 10 percent studying and 90 percent watching old cartoons and i absolutely loved it it was a blast yeah exactly it holds up it absolutely oh, yeah. holds up it's not just nostalgia, like, it's... Checking out that Boomerang subscription. I in it. There you go. All right, Cayman, before we start the episode, I just wanted to say, luckily for my research, both Bill Hanna and Joe Barbera have each written an autobiography. Yes, they have. Did you check them out? To say skimmed would be giving myself too much credit, but yeah, I, I checked them out. Well, it's... To me, it was, it was kind of amazing to read the same account from two different perspectives. Yeah. Bill Hanna's book is called A Cast of Friends and reads almost like an aging man remembering things as the best versions of themselves. Mm -hmm. While Joe Barbera's book, My Life in Tunes, really just kind of tells things as I believe that they probably happened and just reveals how ruthless the animation industry was in the 1930s. Like, oh, yeah. it's brutal at times. And just, like, seeing behind the scenes of, like, Walt Disney... Like, Walt Disney's just a character in this book because he was in that scene in California making cartoons. But both books are fantastic and can be borrowed for free at archive.org, which is also something that I didn't realize was a thing you could do. Interesting. And I don't think these books are available digitally anywhere else. So check those out if you want to know more about the seedy underbelly of making cartoons. And yeah, with that, I don't have anything else. Cayman, did you have anything else you wanted to say? Nothing big. Nothing big before we start. The story of Hanna-Barbera starts as many great stories do. On October 24th, 1929, when frantic traders rushed to sell their overinflated stocks in an event known as Black Thursday, which marked the start of the Great Depression. Never heard of it. <laughs> well, you're about to find out about it again. <laughs> oh, topical. So many Americans were suffering from economic hardship in the wake of Black Thursday, one of which was 19-year-old William Hanna. In 1929, Hannah was studying journalism at Compton Junior College. However, due to the Depression, he was forced to drop out and do odd jobs like construction and washing cars. One day he was talking to his sister's boyfriend, who worked for Pacific Art and Title, who produced artwork for Warner Brothers. 
and his sister's boyfriend told him that they were starting an animation studio to work on something called Looney Tunes and were actively hiring. Bill Hanna hopped in his car and headed down to Hollywood Boulevard to follow his dream. Bill arrived at the studio and met with the men in charge of the animation department. Within moments, Bill had the job opportunity that would change his life forever. He was going to be the janitor at the animation studio. <laughs> but that's not all. When he wasn't doing his custodial duties, he would also serve coffee. From those interactions, though, Bill began to make a name for himself. He would suggest funny gags to the animators, but his real value was that Bill was very talented musically, and he was able to assist in timing the animation to the music. Basically, he created a way that they could take the beats per minute of the song and time that with the frames per second of the animation, because when you're making cartoons, you really need them to hit right on the musical cues. Eventually, Bill found himself as sort of a jack-of-all-trades, assisting in production wherever he was needed. Bill was living his dream. That was up until their contract to make Looney Tunes for Warner Brothers ended, leaving the studio virtually unemployed. Many employees went to where the new Warner Brothers cartoons were being animated, but Bill stayed seeing this studio as the one that gave him his start. So for months, the skeleton crew had to make do with the occasional animated commercial. That was until one day the studio was contacted about an opportunity to work with MGM Studios. And this is where Bill Hanna's life would change forever again. Now, you can't talk about William Hanna, of course, without talking about Joseph Barbera. Joseph Barbera was at a movie theater in 1929, and he became interested in animation after seeing The Skeleton Dance, which was an animation produced and directed by Disney. That's not very long, about three minutes, but was very innovative for the day, very interesting. Definitely go check it out on YouTube if you can. So after seeing this, he becomes really interested in becoming cartoonist. And through working odd jobs, he's doing cartooning on the side. So he tried to become a cartoonist for a magazine called the New York Hits Magazine. Didn't work. He got a job at a bank, which was actually a pretty steady job, and supported himself through that. But he was still continuing to pursue publication for his cartoons. So he would send cartoons to multiple different outlets and started to see some moderate success. Around this time, Barbera reached out to a man named Walt Disney for advice on getting started in the animation industry. Disney actually wrote back to him, saying that he would call Barbera up during an upcoming trip to New York, but the call never took place. So shortly after, Barbera got his first full-time job at Van Buren Studios. Now, in his short time here, he started his first work on an animation that he called Tom and Jerry. Now, of course, this isn't the Tom and Jerry that we all know and love today. It's actually two men. But it kind of has some of the same principles at first. Unfortunately, Van Buren Studios closed down in 1936, but then Barbera got a job at Terrytoon Studio. Here he made his first storyboard, Kiko the Kangaroo, but it went unpublished. And this was fine with Barbera, uh, as he was quoted in his autobiography as saying, It didn't need to be published. I had proven myself that I knew how to make a storyboard. After this, he got a job at MGM, moved to LA, where he was offered a substantial pay increase, and where his desk was opposite that of William Hanna. So the first project that Bill Hanna and Joe Barbera would work on together was a cartoon called Puss Gets the Boot, about a gray cat that chases a brown mouse around while both invent clever ways to outsmart each other. Is this starting to sound familiar? Oh yeah. You see... Studios were riding on marketable characters. Warner Brothers had Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig. Disney had Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, and that rabbit that nobody remembers. And MGM wanted their own 
character. And Hannah and Barbera believed that their new animated duo would be the ones to take that mantle. The issue was the cat and mouse cartoon market was surprisingly saturated at that time, and as such, MGM decided to move on from that idea. Hannah and Barbera went back to the drawing board for new characters, and they came up with gossiping horses at a racetrack called the Gallopin' Gals, <laughs> and a police, a dog policeman character named Officer Pooch. I personally would have named him Canine Cop. I think that's better, but... That's a little bit better, yeah. Come on, Canine Cop. That's, that's a good one. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, Officer Pooch was arrested that year for police brutality, and... Uh... And he died in prison after uh, his third DUI. <laughs> Fortunately, one day the duo were informed that Puss Gets the Boot was performing so well in theaters that MGM had decided to commission a series. However, for this to continue, the cat and mouse would need names. Okay, and this is what's weird, Cayman. I heard you say that Joe Barbera was working on a cartoon called Tom and Jerry. Yeah. From what I read from Joe Barbera's autobiography, it was a animator. They had this contest and they said, OK, whoever names the characters gets fifty dollars. And it was an animator who named them Tom and Jerry after a Christmas drink called the Tom and Jerry. OK, I feel like we're going to have to look that up to like get the get the scoop. I mean, I pulled it straight from the autobiography. Tom and Jerry cartoons is started in a series of early sound cartoons produced by Van Buren Studios and distributed by RKO Pictures. American cartoon artist Joseph Barbera began his career as an animator and storyman on the series. Very odd. Very yeah, odd. Yeah, very strange. Well, and what's weird is in Bill Hanna's autobiography, he says he doesn't know where the names came from. So there's all these like weird conflicting things, but it makes the most sense that it was that other cartoon. I don't know. I don't know, man. Anyway. Sketchy stuff. Not really. Conspiracy time. Do I need to pull out my Alex Jones impression? <laughs> Please, no. We're beating it to death. So the original Puss Gets the Boot actually won an Oscar for Best Cartoon Short. And over the next 16 years, Hannah and Barbera produced 114 Tom and Jerry cartoons, 13 of which were nominated for Academy Awards, of which seven actually won. However, despite the cartoon success... MGM started seeing the writing on the wall. Theaters were undergoing changes. With the widespread adoption of television, people were spending less time and money at the theater. And with that, there was less demand for new content from studios. And in 1957, MGM decided that they had produced enough cartoons to sell to theaters for the foreseeable future and made the call to close their animation division to cut costs. And with that, 110 artists who had created one of the greatest cartoons of all time found themselves unemployed, including Bill Hanna and Joseph Barbera. So in the same year of 1957, a coin toss decided Hanna got the name the new studio that Hanna and Barbera would found. The name became H.B. Enterprises. Harry Cohn, president and head of Columbia Pictures, took an 18% ownership in H.B. Enterprises and provided the working capital. So just two months after the closure of MGM Animation, HP Enterprise was set up in Kling Studios and got to work. So Hannah and Barbera did not wait around for this. They knew what they wanted to do. They obviously saw that there was still a need for cartoons, so they started finding work. In December of 1957, they produced the first ever made-for-TV animated show, The Rough and Ready Show. The following year, in 1958, HB Enterprises released The Huckleberry Hound Show, which was an instant hit and the first animated series to win an Emmy. 
Following this success, HB Enterprises would reincorporate as Hanna-Barbera Productions, Inc. and start hiring the best of the best in the field of animation at the time. This included former Warner Brothers cartoon storymen Michael Maltese and Warren Foster, who became the new head writers for the studio. In 1959, Hanna-Barbera would produce the TV show Quick Draw McGraw, which would be their last big hit before the 1960s. So by 1960, Hanna-Barbera programs are being seen as children's programming, which frustrated both Bill and Joe because Tom and Jerry had been enjoyed by all ages, which was kind of by force since everyone at the theater had to watch the same programming. However, with the invention of television, there were more choices, and parents didn't need to tag along when their kid wanted to watch cartoons. However, Hanna-Barbera knew there was an opportunity, because according to the BBC, a survey found that over half of Huckleberry Hound viewers were adults. Hanna-Barbera just needed the right show to hook the whole family. And at this point in TV history, sitcoms are getting really popular. Shows like I Love Lucy, Leave it to Beaver, and most importantly, The Honeymooners are what families watch together. So this inspired Hanna-Barbera to create an animated sitcom, but it needed a gimmick. The team explored a lot of different ideas, but just none of them ever felt right. Until one day, an animator sketched two cavemen listening to a phonograph powered by a bird with its beak on a stone record. This was the gimmick that they needed. Adapting the luxuries of the 1960s to a Stone Age context, and thus, The Flintstones was born. The Flintstones, as I'm sure you know, depicted the life of Fred Flintstone and his modern Stone Age family, as well as their neighbors the Rubbles. It was pretty obviously inspired by the Honeymooners, however, some saw it as a complete ripoff. And I'm gonna be honest, every source that I look at mentions that Jackie Gleason, who played the main character in the Honeymooners, considered suing Hanna-Barbera, but decided not to because he didn't want to be the man that yanked Fred Flintstone off the air. Like, everywhere that you look will mention this fact. But I have no idea how that was supposed to work. Like, what is he gonna sue them over? You can't, like, how do you justify that? You can't copyright an idea for a show. You can copyright a personality. Can you? Yes. Will of Fortune. Who's who's the Pat lady? Pat Sajak? That, oh, Vanna no, White. Vanna White actually sued over a robot. It was just turning the panels like she does in Will of Fortune. And actually won the suit saying that the robot used her likeness and that it was doing the same motion that she uses on the show. So you can, you can. Yeah. But also Jack Gleason, you know, he could have gone for that. He might have won it. It probably would have been tricky. It seems like he just didn't want to be a dick. Yeah. Well, another thing to consider is the Honeymooners had been off the air for two years by this point. Oh. Like, it's not like they were actively competing against each other. Have you ever seen the Honeymooners? I, I mean, I've seen reruns on TV Land, but I've never stopped yeah. to actually watch it. It's It's a rip. Flintstones is a rip. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's absolutely a rip. Well, and I'll get into that. Well, I mean, it's a rip, but also in the, we'll get into this more as we talk about more Hanna-Barbera shows. The fact that they created that universe, even though it is a rip, but they're like, okay, but we're going to put it in the Stone Age. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's brilliant. It's fantastic. Every, I mean, everything's a rip if you reach far enough. Like, you yeah. can find examples of, oh, well, this person's already done this idea. It's like, no, but mine's in the Stone Age. Like... <laughs> <laughs> that's a no, that is a big enough differentiator it's that different. like yeah yeah well and as we'll get into later they end up ripping off themselves a couple times but oh yeah speed yeah. buggy we'll get there so speaking of this being a complete ripoff of the honeymooners 
Joe Barbera went out and hired one of the former writers of The Honeymooners to write three scripts for $3,000 each, which was absolutely absurd for a cartoon script at this time. However, when they got the scripts, they realized that the guy was used to writing sitcoms on TV, not cartoons. And Barbera said the scripts were all dialogue and had no visual gags. So the studio had to just eat the cost and scrap everything that the dude had written. Oof. However, despite all that, the show went on to become a staple of television, becoming the first animated series to win a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Comedy Series, and also the most financially successful and longest-running animated series for over 30 years until The Simpsons overtook it in 1997. And if you get the opportunity, go back and watch The Flintstones. Watch it now. It's still funny. I, I like, just watched a few clips to, like, get caught up for this, it's still hilarious. It's a great show. Yeah, I, as most of Hanna-Barbera's content is, it's timeless. Uh, well, like Okay, not most. Not <laughs> okay. most. Uh, most of the most of the popular stuff cuz right. there's so much that, that that just nobody remembers and it's a good thing nobody remembers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, it's 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 kind of hard sometimes to realize how much of an impact the show still has to this day. Like, as I was doing my research, it was talking about Fruity Pebbles, and I had to stop and go, oh yeah, wait a minute, Fruity Pebbles and Cocoa Pebbles, those are a Flintstone cereal that are continuously, like, being sold. Like, those are some people's favorite cereals, and they're a branded food. Like, Fred Flintstone, Barney, they're still on the front page, or on the front of the box, and I don't even know that most kids, like, do you think kids still watch the Flintstones? Oh, yeah. No, I know they do. I mean, they know who those characters are, but do you think they actually have seen the cartoon? Well, I mean, this is, my nephews have cable, so I guess it's kind of cheating, but they do have, like, Boomerang. They still watch that stuff. Okay, they still well, love, like, a lot of the old Hanna-Barbera cartoons. Well, and the other thing is, I always took Flintstones chewable vitamins as a kid. Well, that's what, yeah, no, I mean, as a kid, are you not yeah. still taking them now? No, <laughs> no, now I have, now I have the, uh, the, the ones for big boys that they're, they're, they're the gummies that are shaped like fruit. How do you expect to beat the coronavirus with that sort of lackluster performance there? That's our problem. We need to be giving everybody <laughs> Flintstones chewable vitamins. Inject them. Oh, nope. Okay. Do not listen to that advice, obviously. <laughs> Clorox only. <laughs> that's getting cut. Obviously a joke. <laughs> but the Flintstones weren't the only cartoon produced by Hanna-Barbera around this time. Also being produced were Top Cat, about alley cats who tried to pull off get-rich-quick schemes, and of course Yogi Bear, who originally appeared as a side character on Huckleberry Hound, but got his own show, making him the first breakout character in animation history. Wanna pick a nick a basket? Hey, boo-boo. I don't really like that one. Yeah, Not a big Yogi Bear guy. And... That one really doesn't hold up. Anyway, and of course, there was also the futuristic counterpart to the Flintstones, the Jetsons, which starred George Jetson, his son Elroy, daughter Judy, and Jane, his wife, living their lives in the distant future of 2062. The show is praised to this day for being one of the few pieces of science fiction which didn't depict a utopia or a dystopia, but just kind of normal life, but in the future, which is pretty much the world we live in now except they didn't predict the coronavirus. The show was well-received and added to Hanna-Barbera's repertoire of quality content. The problem was it was just more sitcom. They needed something different. They needed something spooky. 
1969, Hanna-Barbera writer Joe Ruby said to Ken Spears, Hey, you want to make a banger of an animated series that's going to last for generations? Ken Spears said, I'm not sure. Joe Ruby said, Would you do it for a Scooby snack? Ken Spears said, I don't know what that means. So that year, 1969, Joe Ruby and Ken Spears created Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? for CBS. Now, it revolved around four teenagers and a dog that solves mysteries. That sounds crazy, man. (laughs) (laughs) It is. That's another one of those things like, who comes up with this? Who, like, thinks of this? Now, it only ran for two seasons initially, but through spinoffs and movies would go on to become one of their most popular shows of all time. And they're still making Scooby-Doo content to this day. Not technically Hanna-Barbera, but it is still being made. Now, the entire premise of the show, every single episode, at least of the original series, and honestly, most of the ones through like the 70s and 80s as well, are essentially five steps. Only five things happen in the show with slight variation. Number one. The gang is driving in the mystery machine, which breaks down near a large vacant property. Number two, the destination is coincidentally suffering from a monster problem, which the gang offers to solve. Number three, the gang splits up. Fred and Velma find clues. Daphne finds danger. And Shaggy and Scooby find food, fun, and the monster who chases them. Number four, they discover that the monster is a fake, and Fred develops a much too complex trap to capture it, which does not work as intended. And eventually, number five, the monster is apprehended and discovered to be disguised, revealed to be a local who is covering up some sort of crime or scam, who then says, and I would have gotten away with it too, if it weren't for you meddling kids. And that is every single episode of Scooby-Doo. And your stupid dog. And your dumb dog. And your dumb dog, stupid dog, whatever. Scooby doesn't actually ever do anything. What are you talking about? There's no point. Scooby was the backbone of that team. He was the morale. He solves it every time. (laughs) He solves nothing. He just has an annoying voice. Regardless. Hey, hey, that annoying voice was started in the Jetsons. All right. That their dog started with the whole rut row. Like that was Jetsons. Oh, I never realized that they were first. I never even thought about that. Oh, yeah. It was started on the Jetsons. So Scooby's a ripoff from the Jetsons, and the Jetsons are kind of just a modern-day ripoff ripoff from the Flintstones, (laughs) Flintstones, which is a ripoff of the Honeymooners, regardless. So (laughs) Scooby-Doo is a ripoff of the Honeymooners, (laughs) the transitive property. (laughs) So by the mid-70s, Hanna-Barbera would go on to be producing two-thirds of all television cartoons, which is absolutely insane. During this time, Hanna-Barbera would also begin reviving a lot of its classics, making new Flintstones, new Yogi Bear, new Huckleberry shows, and even bringing back the OGs, Tom and Jerry, for the new Tom and Jerry show, which premiered in 1975. Hanna-Barbera did have some competition around this time, but it was very weak in comparison. So looking at some of the studios that they were up against, they had DePatty for Lang, which was mostly known for the Pink Panther series, which, by the way, would end up coming back to Hanna-Barbera through acquisitions. Filmation, which produced the Star Trek animated show, He-Man, and Fat Albert. But they were dealt a huge blow in 1975 when ABC Entertainment president Fred Silverman, which at the time was the only network whose cartoons weren't almost entirely Hanna-Barbera, dropped Filmation and gave all their cartoon slots to Hanna-Barbera. So their biggest competition was essentially ran out by Fred Silverman. 
Two years later, Fred Silverman would go on to encourage Joe Ruby and Ken Spears, the two creators of Scooby-Doo, to create their own studio because he was worried that Hanna-Barbera's content would start to fall flat with no competition. So <laughs> he made it to where they had less competition and got worried about it. So in 1977, Joe Ruby and Ken Spears would leave Hanna-Barbera to create Ruby Spears Productions. Now, they created a few shows, including The Mr. T Show and Rubik the Amazing Cube. So, like, very obviously late 70s kind of content. But they were sold to Taft Broadcasting, becoming the sister company to Hanna-Barbera in 1981. Are you going to talk about Goober and the Ghost Chasers? I did not talk about Goober and the Ghost Chasers. Do you know about Goober and the Ghost Chasers? I have seen, like, what's, okay, what's special about Goober and the Ghost Chasers other than it's a rip? Nothing, absolutely nothing. Like, we're talking about ripoffs. So let's talk about Goober and the Ghost Chasers. It's a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. Yeah. Hold on. It's a Hanna-Barbera cartoon about a group of teenagers, Ted, Gilly, and Tina, solving spooky mysteries with their dog, Goober. Like, it's just Scooby-Doo again. So are you going to talk about that show without talking about Speed Buggy? I don't I don't know what Speed Buggy is. Tell me what Speed Buggy is. Well, Speed Buggy was another show in which three friends run around solving mysteries with their trusty talking dune buggy. Okay, no, no, no. I remember that because it, it, it talked like like it puts all yeah. the time. Yeah, I remember yeah, that, but I don't. I didn't realize that there was a mystery solving show. It only lasted for sixteen episodes, so it didn't really get like a big chance to do a lot of the stuff. Goober and the Ghost Chasers was also sixteen episodes. Yeah. So this is this is they. You know they defeat villains and cricks, so it's pretty much like solving mysteries, kind of. Well, this was just straight up Scooby-Doo. That's the thing. We can talk about, you know, there's probably 20 great Hanna-Barbera cartoons, and there's probably like a hundred ones that are... That are just those 20 again? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's my thing, is like, why not dedicate those resources to just making more Scooby-Doo cartoons? Like, why split it off? Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Josie and the Pussycats? That one is... Eh, it was Fine. But the thing is, that one started the whole subgenre of here's a group of teenagers that are in a band. And I feel like Scooby-Doo, they were also in a band for a little while. Uh, probably. But They've done everything at one point in time. Yeah. Okay. They were on the Globetrotters. No. Okay. Well, that's a whole other thing. Like, that's a whole other tangent. They made a Harlem Globetrotters cartoon. Yeah, there is a Harlem Globetrotters show. And then they just reused that animation to bring the Harlem Globetrotters yep. into Scooby-Doo because they already had those things drawn. So they could just, like, throw that episode together pretty quickly. Well, that's the other thing that you have to realize with animation. Animation takes a lot of time. Television animation. Especially, well, I mean, all animation takes a lot of time. Television animation, you're expected to put out content pretty quickly, which is mm -hmm. why, I mean, even modern shows today, Rick and Morty, you know, American Dad, these shows take a lot of money to produce. Like, just egregious amounts of money. Avatar mm -hmm. The Last Airbender was an incredibly expensive show. Coming to Netflix soon. It is coming to Netflix soon. And I'm going to rewatch it. I already have it on Blu-ray, so who cares? But yeah, so being able to take the assets that you've already drawn and reuse them is something that they did a lot. So especially Scooby-Doo had a whole lot of crossovers because it was just, it was cheap and it was a good way to get out content. And another thing, like when reading about their short-lived cartoons, you can see like there's people who have gone through and been like, okay, they took these characters and just put them in other shows. Yeah. Because, like, rather than try to, like, come up with new characters, they would just, like, repurpose those characters from failed shows into their more successful shows. So, I mean, and they were called the 
general motors of animation. They would yep. just take these concepts and just repurpose them all the time mm-hmm. in so- sort of an assembly line fashion. The joke being that General Motors owns multiple different car brands. And, you know, if you buy an Escalade, an Escalade is the same thing as a um, Tahoe. I didn't know that. I just assumed it was assembly line. I thought they were talking about assembly line stuff. Well, I mean, yeah, GMC, all the different car companies that they own all produce the same cars with different badges. So wow. that's that's the joke there. I'm sure we'll get into it because GM is definitely an episode in the future. Oh, I hope so. I want a car episode so bad. Anyway, instead of talking about cars, let's talk about the 1980s. Oh, this is my least favorite sentence you've ever said. <laughs> <laughs> what did the cartoon landscape look like in the 1980s? And the masters of the universe. The Transformers. Those are pretty good intros, and I'm not saying that just to make it a review of said intros to avoid copywriting. That's right, Cayman. We've entered into the era of toy manufacturers like Hasbro (laughs) and Mattel using cartoons to sell toys. Yeah, if your cartoon is not straight up like commercial for a toy, then you're cartoons trash in the 80s yeah and as you may remember from our sega episodes my boy tom kalinsky is selling he-man toys like gangbusters <laughs> he's at mattel at this time he, he's he's made this cartoon a thing he's just freaking making money on money which oh, yeah. means that the cartoons then get bigger budgets so fred flintstone may have his cereal and his vitamins but he-man's got a fucking battle cat yeah well, I mean, Transformers actually has lore, which is something that, you know, Hanna-Barbera wasn't doing at this time. I'm not sure if you get into that, but like they, I'm not sure if you've ever gotten into the like Transformers lore, but it's actually pretty intense. It's intense, but here's the thing. That lore has been built up over time. When it first came yeah. out, they were like, they're robots. They're more than meets the eye. That's the lore. Buy our shit. Yeah, pretty much. So, around this time, a network executive at NBC came to Hannah and Barbera with an idea. During a meeting in Colorado, he had taken his daughter to a toy store, and she had become fixated on these little stuffed blue characters with white hats and white pants. They were called Smurfs. And the NBC executive told Hannah and Barbera, if you can get the rights to these, I'll put them on the air. No question. So, as the pair found out, The Smurfs had been a comic in Belgium since 1958, and upon getting the rights, production began on the television show. The show ended up being one of the few hits on NBC around this time, and ran for nine seasons. This was the big Hanna-Barbera production of the 1980s, but the company had a few other shows worth noting at this time. They created a show called The Snorks, which were pretty much just the Smurfs, but they were underwater. And they also produced a show called Challenge of the Gobots, which was a cartoon about giant robots that could transform into vehicles. Does that sound familiar? Not at all. Well, it's pretty much Transformers. <laughs> it's just Transformers. Yeah. But it actually premiered a week before the Transformers cartoon and ran for two seasons. So they came up, they had their Transformers cartoon called the Gobots before Transformers had their cartoon. That is suspicious. 
That is incredibly suspicious. And if I had to guess, either Hanna-Barbera caught wind of Transformers coming out, or Transformers caught wind of GoBots coming out. Well, no. I mean, both of those things are... What what happened was, this was a big toy craze in Japan, and Transformers and GoBots were part of, like, separate franchises in Japan, and then when we brought them over to the States, we started commissioning American cartoons for them. These were Japanese toys that we brought over and then needed to justify in an American context, kind of like what we did with the Power Rangers, where we took the action scenes from a Japanese show and then just transplanted American characters to play them when they aren't suited up as the Power Rangers. Yeah. So anyway, what's funny now is the company that made GoBots is now owned by Hasbro, and they actually have, like, <laughs> backwards retrofitted them into being, like, smaller Transformers. Like, the Transformers have the GoBots. And I remember when we were kids, like, the GoBots would be, like, extra guns that would be put on the Transformers. Like, they were the upgrades to Transformers. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. No, I remember, yeah, because, like, even in the even in the movie, the little, like, radio guy, like, it's supposed to be, like, a GoBot, because they're, like, smaller. I didn't realize that that's what the GoBots were. Okay. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't watched the Michael Bay movies. Oh, they're pretty good. In an alternate universe, I'm sure the GoBots now own Transformers, and it's the opposite. Yeah. But anyway, Hanna-Barbera is doing pretty well at this time, but the market that they'd once dominated has now become flooded with poorly disguised toy commercials. And their product was becoming less entertainment and more of a commodity that could be bought and sold. So now's when we talk about the man who called Rupert Murdoch a warmonger and challenged him to a televised fistfight. Twice. That's right. So if you do not know, Ted Turner is an American businessman and media visionary that took his late father's billboard business and turned it into a media conglomerate. And honestly, I, I had to go through my notes about Ted Turner so many times and dial it back. So I'm just talking about the roots. So uh, keep in mind, we're still talking about Hanna-Barbera. It's going to sound for a second like I'm getting away from it. But in 1978, after he had built his media empire, or at least he had started his media empire, he had an idea to create a 24-hour news channel and was so convinced that the idea would work that he sold off some of his news stations to raise initial working capital. In 1980, cable news network CNN was the first television channel to provide 24-hour news coverage and was the first all-news television channel in the United States. And as we know, this completely worked. So Fox, MSNBC, still huge channels today. So in 1991, Turner, being the visionary that he is, saw another 24-hour channel opportunity, and he saw a company that wasn't doing so great that he could acquire. So, his company outbid MCA and Hallmark to purchase Hanna-Barbera for $320 million to work on a project that he had in mind. So, by 1992, Ted Turner had bought up a ton of animated content and needed a place to put it. He owned a lot of the old Looney Tunes content. He owned all of MGM's cartoons, including Tom and Jerry. He owned Hanna-Barbera Studios and a majority of their old cartoons, and thus the idea for Cartoon Network was born. No more waiting for Saturday morning or after school. Cartoon Network would have animated content running 24-7. And Cartoon Network was technically Ted Turner's project, but it was built on the back of literally every project that Hanna and Barbera had ever worked on. Ted Turner wasted no time getting Hanna-Barbera to work on making new content for his new network. To get a feel for the content that people were looking for, Cartoon Network launched What a Cartoon, headed by the Hanna-Barbera Studios, which was essentially an animation showcase that allowed new creators to try out new show ideas. And my god did it crank out shows. 
Here's a list of the shows that were made possible by What a Cartoon, either directly or indirectly. The Powerpuff Girls, Dexter's Laboratory, Johnny Bravo, Cow and Chicken, I.R. Weasel, Curds the Cowardly Dog, Family Guy. All from this one show, and many of those ended up being produced by Hanna-Barbera. Now, obviously, Family Guy wasn't, but the, the main concept of Family Guy was actually originated on What a Cartoon. And honestly, this was the embodiment of my childhood, was these cartoons. Like, oh yeah, I loved Cartoon Network above all else when it came to what I was watching. Like, Disney was okay. Nickelodeon was good, but Cartoon Network was just cranking out quality stuff time after time. And it's insane that you could spend an entire afternoon watching Cartoon Network and only be watching Hanna-Barbera content. Like, they had everything new they were making and everything that Hanna-Barbera had ever made. And not Hanna-Barbera, but Hanna and Barbera. Like, all their old Tom and Jerry stuff. It's all there. Bill Hanna's old Looney Tunes stuff that he was, like, kind of helping out with. That's all there. Yeah. And Cartoon Network even started taking these old Hanna-Barbera characters to create adult-oriented content for the people who grew up with those characters. And this all started in 1994 when they came out with Space Ghost Coast to Coast, which was a talk show starring a pretty obscure Hanna-Barbera character called Space Ghost. You mean Space Ghost Coast to Coast, the host with the most Space Ghost. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Space Ghost Coast to Coast, the host with the most Space Ghost. Uh, <laughs> no, they're, they're all classics. Oh, they're fantastic. And so so Space Ghost was followed up by C-Lab 2021, which I never really <laughs> liked, but it was still pretty good. Oh, it's good. You have to get a few episodes in. Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law. My absolute favorite that came from this era. It is so oh, good. It's hilarious. Like, I watched some Harvey Birdman leading up to this, and it's streaming on Hulu right now. Go watch some Harvey Birdman. It's fantastic. Basically, the, the, the concept of the show is Harvey Birdman, who was an old Hanna-Barbera character, is an attorney who defends other Hanna-Barbera characters in court. And it's just, it's great. <laughs> like, they have, like, Race Bannon in a custody battle for Johnny Quest. Yes. And, like, dude, they're, they're all great. My favorite is uh, the Scooby-Doo gang getting pulled over with weed in their car. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, and then also there's Venture Brothers, which is is very heavily inspired by Hanna-Barbera. Like, Johnny Quest is, is a character in the show, but he's not, like, the main character. But all these shows basically paved the way for Adult Swim to start in 2002, which is still very popular to this day. Unfortunately, the Powerpuff Girls would be the last television series to be produced under the Hanna-Barbera name. And that's because a storm was brewing. A storm called Capitalism. <laughs> It's very dramatic. So yeah, in 1995, after five weeks of deliberations, Time Warner reached a deal with Turner to purchase all stock that Time Warner didn't already own in, in the Turner company for $7.5 billion. Now, Turner ceded control of his cable programming company, which he had built up himself, to become vice chairman of Time Warner and said, I'm tired of being little for my whole life. This is a chance to see the world from a different perspective. And only Ted Turner could like sell a company for $7.5 and be like, I'm tired of being a little guy. I want to go up and do like big stuff. Of course, this means that all of Turner's assets are getting merged with Time Warner's assets. So valued that year at $19.8 the company would actually leapfrog even the Walt Disney Company, which at the time, and I gotta stress at the time, was only creating $16.4 billion in revenue. So what did this all mean for Hanna-Barbera, who was owned by Turner at the time of their acquisition? 
So in 1998, Hanna-Barbera was moved from their headquarters of 35 years to operate alongside Time Warner's own animation studio, Warner Brothers Animation, at Sherman Oaks Galleria. It sounds good for a second, but three years later in 2001, Time Warner realized, hey, maybe we don't really need two animation studios. Like, what's the point of this? So they decided to absorb Hanna-Barbera into Warner Bros. Animation, ending the studio which had been in business for 44 years. Yeah, and so today, Hanna-Barbera is a shell of its former self, and it's honestly crushing. Warner Brothers has continued this tradition of making Hanna-Barbera properties more adult. Like, apparently, Elizabeth Banks is currently working on a new adult-oriented Flintstone show. And DC Comics, who is also owned by Warner Brothers, has started a line of comics called Hanna-Barbera Beyond in 2016 that set classic Hanna-Barbera characters in more adult situations, such as putting the Scooby-Doo gang in the post-apocalypse, where the world has been taken over by mutated creatures infected by nanites, or a Jetsons comic that explains that Rosie the Robot Maid has George Jetson's dead mother's consciousness uploaded into it. Or Wacky Races, if it was just the movie Death Race. Or my personal favorite, you're gonna love this, Snagglepuss the Pink Cat as a gay playwright in the 1950s, victimized by the McCarthyism witch hunts against communist infiltration in the United States. <laughs> now, see, here's my thing. I feel like those comics are doing a straight-up rip of Harvey Birdman. <laughs> Well, I mean, they're taking they're taking the idea of Harvey Birdman and cranking it up to like 11. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you right now, I I I will be buying the Scooby-Doo comic. I want to read oh, yeah. it. It's got like 6 volumes and as soon as Amazon starts shipping things again, I'll 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 do a review in one of our housekeeping episodes. I'm really excited to read it. I'm actually all about it. I have no idea how I missed that in my research. I'm looking it up now. Oh, it's good. I'm going to have to get the Snagglepuss. You're getting Stagopus. All right, good. We'll both read one and we'll we'll talk about them. You know I love McCarthyism. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Awesome. All right. So there's a new Scooby-Doo movie coming out called Scoob. Oh. And it was originally supposed to be a theatrical release, but due to COVID-19, it is releasing to streaming services next Friday from when this episode comes out. Hanna-Barbera is actually being billed as a production company on this film. And Scoob is being marketed as a pretty straightforward Scooby-Doo movie, but it's weirdly this Hanna-Barbera crossover because it also features obscure characters like the Blue Falcon, Dick Dastardly, and Dynamut Dog Wonder. And many believe that this is going to be the setup to a Hanna-Barbera cinematic universe. And we're not going to get into it, but Warner Brothers is notoriously horribly failing at cinematic universes. Like, they've got the DC cinematic universe, which was just a failure. Like, they're desperately trying to get that Marvel money, but it's just not working out for them. So, maybe who knows? Maybe maybe Scoob is the start to something better, but I, I have low expectations. Well, the thing is, I don't know. Well, I, I will wait to see. I will wait to see before I pass judgment. My initial thing is I'm a stickler for animation styles, and I don't think that the new animation style looks good. This is not looking good for him. Yeah. But anyway, if you want a already established Hanna-Barbera cinematic universe, look no further than the weird Hanna-Barbera cross promotions with the WWE. They've started their own, <laughs> I swear to God, it's a, it's a series of animated films that has Hanna-Barbera mixed with WWE wrestlers, such as Scooby-Doo WrestleMania Mystery, The Flintstones and WWE, Stone Age Smackdown, 
Scooby-Doo and WWE Curse of the Speed Demon, also known as Scooby-Doo WrestleMania Mystery Part 2, or the Jetsons and WWE Robo-WrestleMania. And I can only imagine that these films are designed to get children into wrestling at a young age. And that's pretty much where we are today. Joe Barbera and Bill Hanna's legacy is being used to indoctrinate children into liking professional wrestling. And there's really no bigger I really wish you hadn't than that. Oh, but you can take that back to the Smurfs. You can take that back to the Smurfs. Were there wrestlers in the Smurfs? Well, no, I'm saying they're just indoctrinating kids to buy toys. Well, no, I feel like there's a difference between trying to get kids to buy toys and putting freaking The Rock in the Smurfs. I I honestly think that the latter one is better than the other. I don't think there's anything wrong with a little crossover. I think that the crossovers are better than the Smurf thing. I think it's... Uh, I don't know. uh, I really really wish you hadn't missed the Smurfs. John Cena's in all of them. <laughs> John Cena's John awesome. Cena's hanging out with Scooby-Doo. John Cena's a great guy. Have you looked up like his personal life? He's he's great. He does so many Make-A-Wish foundations. He donates a lot of money. He's a great guy. He can be in cartoons. John Cena is a great guy. He's a good guy. I'm sure he's a good guy. But you know what? Like, I <sighs> keep it separate. There's no reason for those two things to cross paths. No, there's not. Why? Why? Nothing wrong with a little collaboration. I don't like it. I don't like it. Yeah, well, Michael is being obtuse. <laughs> I stand by what I said. Interesting. So, we want to move into afterthoughts now? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Seems like we're already there. My bad. So, you remember me telling you during I'm Really Glad You Did that it was really hard to keep separate Ben and Jerry versus Ben and Jerry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like we had that same exact problem here. Like, I was like, uh, it's Hanna-Barbera versus yeah. hannah and Barbera. Right. Yeah. I mean, really, you know, after I would say the 1960s, they really stepped back a lot as far as the production of shows. So like the the moniker of Hanna-Barbera was just the company. And then you had the creators creating things underneath that. Yeah. I mean, they, they pretty much became executive producers. I feel like right. they were always pretty close to the top. Like, I mean, I'm sure they helped considerably with, with a lot of things, but they were always kind of the overhead, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, our word is law, and but it's just like Walt Disney. You know, Walt Disney wasn't yeah. sitting down and, like, drawing proofs. And he wasn't making storyboards. He would just come in and say, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like so that. So Joe Barbera achieved his dream of being like Disney. Yeah, really. And at one point, he was beating Disney. You know, two-thirds. And, yeah. of course, Disney was much more theatrical in their cartoons. Right. That Disney said straight up, we have no interest in being on television. There's right. no money there. And guess where they are now? Yeah streaming making tv shows wandavision coming 2026 yeah but that's not animation okay clone wars yeah okay all right i'll give you that yep (laughs) but yeah they've always made they had like mickey mouse clubhouse and that's still going yeah it's the mickey mouse clubhouse come inside it's fun inside so one of my side notes and like i said i didn't want to talk too much about turner but we could do an entire episode on turner so one of the shows that Hanna-Barbera started producing after being bought by Time Warner was The New Adventures of Captain Planet, Captain Planet and the Planeteers, which was based off the show, show Captain Planet and the Planeteers, right. which amazing Captain Planet. He's our hero. Going to take pollution down to zero. Earth, wind, water, <laughs> fire, heart. <laughs> yeah. With our powers combined, they form Captain Planet. It's it bops. It's a great show about a superhero that fights eco-terrorism. Do you know who is listed as one of the creators of that show? 
I mean, Ted, Ted Turner. Tur Ted Turner's like the guy who made that he's show. He's the guy who made the show. Yeah, I mean, he's not one of the creators. Like, this was his idea. Well, I mean, idea. he didn't do all the drawing. It was his idea. Well, no, but like this, he made it happen. Yeah. And he like played one of the characters and stuff. Like, yeah. Ted Turner is a very liberal, philanthropic person, if that makes sense. As someone from Atlanta, I'm pretty sure that Ted Turner owns a portion of just me. Like, I think. Yeah. Well, at one point, I believe that he was the second largest landholder in the United States. I would believe it. Yeah, he, he's done very well for himself. Something else, which you might be interested in, Michael. In 1989, Turner created the Turner Tomorrow Fellowship for fiction, offering positive solutions to global problems. The winner out of 2,500 entries worldwide was Daniel Quinn's novel, Ishmael. Oh, hey, I yeah. read that book. You know, it's actually, you lent it to me, uh, Right after we became friends. Oh, did I don't think you ever gave it back. No. I need to reread that book. It's one of those books that, like, I loved in high school, but I feel like I'll go back and read it again and be like, oh, no. <laughs> I think it's probably still good. Okay. All right. Yeah. Do you have any afterthoughts that you want to? Well, we kind of got into it before, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reiterate it. So Joe Barbera wrote his autobiography in 1994. Bill Hanna wrote his autobiography in 1996, two years later. Joe Barbera, in his autobiography, tells the story of how Tom and Jerry got their names, and he says it was from an animator, but we've, we've decided that that's kind of a weird thing to say. Bill Hanna says he doesn't remember how Tom and Jerry got their names. So I can only conclude that Bill Hanna did not bother to read Joe Barbera's autobiography. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Probably I don't know, not. I feel like you'd have to, like... I don't know. If... Your your business partner of over 50 years writes a book. Right. You already know his life. You don't need to read the book about his life. No, I know. But like you'd, you'd still he can say whatever you'd want to read it and be like, eh, what do you say about me? Like, but you got to think uh, Hannah, Hannah and Barbara both had plenty of money at this point. Yeah. You know, they're pretty wealthy. They were Los Angeles socialites. They got around. You know, you might have gotten the book in the mail and you meant to read it, but then you went out and played golf and then you decided to go get lunch somewhere. And he was like, oh, yeah, no, it was a great book. It was a great book. I loved it. Actually, I'm thinking about writing one on my own. And he just never got around to it. I don't think it's anything. <laughs> it was probably one of those things where he handed it to like somebody on his payroll and was like, read this and tell me if he said anything mean about me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. We're going to play a little game after the closing credits. So stick around if that's something you want to do. All right, Cayman, you want to tell the folks where they can find us? All right, guys, follow us on Twitter at IRWYH Podcast, Instagram at I Really Wish You Hadn't. And if you have any topics you would like us to cover, email us at podcast at I Really Wish You Hadn't.com. Take it easy, and we look forward to having you here with us next time. I Really Wish You Hadn't is hosted by me, Michael Bentley, and Cayman McMahon. We're produced by Colin Moore. Intro music by Attack Story music you're hearing now is by home our cover art is by nicator please remember to subscribe and rate us on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and until next time don't fight against hasbro gi joe and transformers will beat you and as always don't do anything i wouldn't do Okay, so I've got one last thing before we, we do our clothes-offs. Before we take our clothes off. Before we... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. So... <laughs>
what I'm gonna do here is I'm just going to, if you listeners have a drink handy, of course we're not going to encourage you to do an alcoholic drinking game because that would be unsafe. So we're all gonna get out our handy dandy bottle of water, take a drink for every Hanna-Barbera show that you know, have heard of, and or have seen. Keep in mind, I weeded out all the garbage. We now have our handy dandy waters all gathered. Super producer Colin is going to read the names. Okay, so wait, is it is it if we've ever seen them or ever heard of them? Because I've heard of a lot of Hanna-Barbera shows now. Okay, okay, we'll do ever seen them. Okay. okay. I think there's only like 40 on here. Oh God. Oh, okay, <laughs> only 40. Yeah, okay. I'm not trying to get drunk at 2.15 on a Sunday. <laughs> well. There might not be 40. We'll see. Good. That's that's why we're drinking water. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we're drinking water. That's right. We're yeah. just drinking water. Okay, here we go. You guys ready? All right. All right. Okay. The Rough and Ready Show. I haven't seen it. Huckleberry Hound. Mm -hmm. I actually think I've seen it. I've seen it. Quick Draw McGraw. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Flintstones. That's everybody. Mm -hmm. Yogi Bear. Mm-hmm. The Jetsons. Mm-hmm. Johnny Quest. Mm-hmm. Adam Ant. Haven't Actually, I haven't yet. seen it. Space Ghost. Michael has. Uh, does Space Ghost Coast to Coast count? Yes, it does. All right. I haven't seen those. Birdman and the Galaxy Trio. Harvey. Yep, Harvey Birdman counts. Yep, yep. I haven't seen Well, I guess I saw the intro today. <laughs> there you go. Wacky Races. Oh, yep. yeah. One of the best ones. Dastardly and Muttley in their flying machines. I don't think I've seen it. Scooby-Doo, where are you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. Uh, this whole section is just going to be, be uh, perfect. Oh. Shit, where's the next one? Okay, Harlem Globetrotters animated TV show. It doesn't count uh -huh. if you've seen the episode with the with Scooby-Doo. Mm-hmm. Shit. That counts. Josie and the Pussycats. Josie yep. and the Pussycats. Pebbles and Bam Bam. Pretty sure I've seen that. Yep. yep. C Lab 2020. Yep. Does C Lab 2021 count? Yep. <laughs> Damn it. Speed Buggy. Yep. I actually have seen that, yeah. Okay. Super Friends. Yep. Haven't seen it. Inch High Private Eye. Yep. The Adams Family. Yep. Yep. Hong Kong Fooey. Yep. Haven't seen it. The Tom and Jerry Show. That's everybody. Yep. yep. The Godzilla animated show. It's nope. so badass. It's awesome. Okay. Maybe I need to watch it. <laughs> Happy Days, the animated show. No. Haven't seen it, but I had to toss that one in there. The Smurfs. Yep. Smurfs. Pac-Man TV show. Thank God yep. I haven't I seen that. I don't think that. I've seen that. Oh, Michael has. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's rough. The Dukes, animated Dukes of Hazard. I don't think Yes, I have that. seen this. It sounds good. I, I'm interested, actually. <laughs> it's not. I looked it up for the show. <laughs> okay. Snorks. <laughs> oh, Snorks yep. is the worst. I don't think I've seen Snorks. Storks is horrible. You're good. You're good not seeing it. Pound Puppies. Pound Puppies is great. I don't know I about that it. one. Captain Planet. Oh, yeah. Yep. The best. I don't think I've seen Captain Planet. That is a crime against oh, man. nature. That's a that's one that I've missed. At the very least, you need to watch the Don Cheadle live action <laughs> Captain Planet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Two Stupid Dogs. Oh, yeah. Dexter's Laboratory. Yep. Mm-hmm. Johnny Bravo. Hey, yep. pretty mama. Yeah, when chicken, yep. mm -hmm. and the Powderpuff Girls, Powerpuff Girls. What I say, Powderpuff, Powderpuff, Powerpuff. <laughs> Sorry. So, during that, I finished an entire uh, 
bottle of water. <coughs> Me too. I finished an entire can. Of water. Got choked up at the end though. 